Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. What a phenomenal choice for a person to pick. Like, it's dangerous, it's thrilling, you're with creative people, you're with vindictive people, you're with competitive people. But like, if you get to hang out, like you said earlier, with comedians, it's like, it's the whole thing. Like, that's your life. You know, you only have, obviously we're here for a short amount of time. If you get to hang out with comedians and like, and then do your act and get approval or whatever, or work this whole creative, you get to live a creative life. I mean, that's a, I really feel like I'm very fortunate. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard. Glad to have you back. Very excited you're here for part two of Wayne Fetterman. If you listen to part one, you know how special this guy is, and he is really, really inspirational as well. I loved hanging out with him. I loved this interview, and it doesn't get much better than what happened with me sitting across from him. Just incredible stuff that you're really, really going to enjoy. Before I get started on this part two, I wanted to thank you again so many great comments, so much great mail and emails, and you guys are unbelievable. You're just so supportive, and I'm so, so thankful. If you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Instagram or Twitter, or you can reach me at my website at barrycats.com. And when I think of Wayne Fetterman, I think of a guy who is a survivor and a guy who constantly gains a skill set for something, masters it, and then moves on to the next thing, and then masters that, and moves on to the next thing, and then masters that. And then he combines those things with tremendously strong bonds and relationships through every genre of the business he travels through. This is a guy who's done stand-up, does music and combines stand-up with music, books television commercials, does television roles as an actor, does film roles as an actor, launches late-night television shows on NBC, is a head writer for a talk show, on the side, wrote stand-up material for some of the greatest people in the world that do comedy. Everyone from Mel Brooks to Kean Peele to the Muppets. It's crazy, but it doesn't stop there. He did animated voices for great shows, working with Seth MacFarlane on American Dad and so many other things. But then. He goes one step further. He creates his own film festival and with his relationships brings people in to showcase movies like Aziz Ansari and Kathy Griffin and Sasha Baron Cohen and 
Zach Galifianakis and the late Gary Shandling. And then he goes on to produce a show with Don Rickles, his last show he ever did, and worked with guests on the show like Martin Scorsese and Vince Vaughn and De Niro. And then did his own podcast, which is still up and still popular, The History of Stand-Up. And then writes a book, The History of Stand-Up, from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle. It's released this month. It's just incredible what this guy does. And I've known him my whole career, and I really respect him tremendously. And every comedian loves working with him. And if I can take anything from him, it's just the incredible trajectory of just swinging from branch to branch without ever seemingly falling. And even when something happened that wasn't the best possible thing, it didn't ever stop him. He just moved on to the next thing. It's truly, truly incredible. That combined with the relationships he has with some of the greatest people in the business have taken him to a level that is something that most people only dream about. And I can guarantee you, if you can figure out how to master all these art forms in your area of expertise or your genre, and you can combine that with the kind of relationships this guy has, I can guarantee you, you'll have the kind of career that Wayne Fetterman has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now the end. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Pretend you're doing your movie. You write your movie. Yeah. You create it. You do it. And you want to bring on some people to work on the movie. Right. And you're like, hey, I want you to come on. I want you to be a consulting producer. And they say, listen, Wayne, could I take you aside for a second just for 15 minutes? Do you have a time to talk to me? Can I, when, when you're free, no stress. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I was wondering, you know, since it doesn't cost anything, could, could you give me, like, uh, maybe a producer, a co-producer, a co-executive producer, maybe an executive producer yeah. credit? Like, would you be okay with that? Because I just feel like I, I've been doing this for 35 years, and I think that I just, I, I love working with you, but could you just do, would you say, no, you're a consulting producer, and you will stay a consulting producer? Probably not. Probably not. But again, what do you learn about me? I don't like to deal in hypotheticals. So I don't know. I, this, this is how I felt. I was thrilled to have the job, thrilled to oh, get the credit. Of course. It's an incredible job. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's incredible, right? I, it's what, a, what an incredible And it might, honor. you think it might go back to just my feeling of like, oh, I'm not worth it. I'm a trick comedian. Well, like what what I think you do, and again, you have I just, your management. I just, I just want you to know, have putting, Dave Rath. This putting, is about Dave Rath. Putting my management hat on. Yeah. This is what I think you do. I love it. All right, because I want to share with you. Because this yeah. is what I, if I'm a betting man. Yeah. This is you. Uh, this is Dave calling you. Hey, man, great news. You're gonna get this gig. This is the money. It's not as much as normal, but this is the money, and they're giving you a consulting producer. I'd like to. I'd like to fight to get you a little more money and a little of this, and this is you on the other end. Dave, Dave, please don't make any waves. Just just take the offer. No, really, I think we can get more and we can do more and get a better credit. Dave, I, I, I really, I just want to keep my relation. I don't want any conflict, okay? So a manager is, is shackled by people like uh, you. My, and what would you call, how would you describe my sad desperation not to lose that job. How would you describe that? Am I right or not? Yeah, there's some truth to there. No doubt about it. No doubt. I mean, right on. I love this interview. This is so fantastic. Yeah, yeah. This is like, I'm so horribly embarrassed that I haven't spent more time with you. 
but so, so Dave Rath is a great manager, but Dave Rath cannot, you're a great manager. I understand I'm cutting out his legs. Can I get only it. Be as I'm great, shackling. I'm can shackling only be him. as great yeah. as the artist gives him the thing. Okay. And I can guarantee you, and Judd would probably never talk to me again for the rest of his life probably, but I can guarantee you if you just, even if you just. By the have, way, I think this might be ultimate. He's calling because I think it's going to be co-producer. Well, yeah, I'm just saying, so but, just, but I'm just saying, like, if Judd were to sit down with you, and he doesn't, he's not even, if, if I, I don't know Judd as well as you, mm -hmm. but I think Judd, has, there's so many things going on that he's just thinking, okay, people will take care of their own deals and they'll do their right, own right. things. I know what I'm getting and doing whatever. I'm giving this person a job. He's got people to work on it with him and whatever, and if there's a problem, I'll hear about it, but right. I'm not... So I don't even think Judd even would know what your credit is, honestly, until he probably you. sees it on the screen or the call sheet. I see, I see, I see. It's just that, you know, I think that you are great. You are amazing, and you have put in your fucking time. And so you have to stand up for yourself and give your manager and your representation the opportunity to do what they do best. I understand. I understand. I have a different view of that stuff. So, okay. So oh, we don't have to talk I about can, it now. I can cut everything out. No, I love it. What do you mean? That was one of the most revealing things about management and the fact that I undercut Dave Rath's negotiating power. Well, I didn't know that. I just presumed it. Of course. <laughs> what is it? That wasn't that huge a leap to take. No. The Wayne Fetterman would be like, nah, I don't want to work on the George Carlin documentary so I can get a executive producer credit and kill that relationship at the same time. It's not worth it. It may not be worth it to get the executive producer credit, right? but maybe there's something in the trajectory that's more. All I'm saying is you have built an extraordinary career and i'm, I'm sorry to go no it's toe funny to me i, I just i just and to me there's a reason why a genius judd apatow right a genius is asking you to work on a documentary about a genius do you think that maybe, Wayne, you might have some qualities that he might feel like close to working with? That Does he want to hire the guy who's the tack? Or does he want to hire the guy who's closest to him in his tone and feeling? He believes in you. No, I... He thinks you're amazing. And to bring you into a project with Carl and, and, and <laughs> Gary Shandling... These are the greatest geniuses of our generation, and Judd is heading on the slope to Mount Rushmore himself. And who does he choose? You. So fucking look in the mirror and tell yourself there's a reason why he's doing that, because you're fucking great. I'm sorry to get on the no, soapbox. No, I love it. I love it. I'm no, so it's great. It's, it's like I've never had an interview like this. I've never had anyone yell at me for taking a job. <laughs> it's incredible. Like on an eight-minute rant of why, okay, I took a job. I'm, yeah, I guess it's... <laughs> I said yes. I said yes. I guess I'm an idiot. All right. <laughs> All right. Good. You made some good points there. Can we go back to the marathon? <laughs> That marathon. These, Have you ever run a marathon? These, no, I don't even run to the bathroom. Oh, okay. 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 All right, last thing. Tell our audience <laughs> what's the difference between acting in movies and television and making that transition from parts in television to movies. <laughs> like, what's the... Is there a difference when you're on a movie set to when you're on a, a four-camera Yes, there is a difference. There is a how difference. do you feel as an actor? I prefer not... It's weird because I'm a stand-up, but I prefer single camera completely to uh, having an audience there. Because I just feel like there's always, and, that, and I think it goes back that I'm, not only am I not super confident, but I'm slightly self-conscious as a performer. Like, so if I'm hearing and I'm aware of an audience as opposed to just like, oh, Barry, we have to do this scene, and I know there's a camera crew, but at least I can lock into you 
and and not worry about getting that response. So for me, and you know who's the exact opposite is Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart loved tape days, loved it. So he's, I mean, he was just made for it. I mean, just a natural. Your buddy, Bob Newhart. So your first big break in the comedy business was it Bill Boggs' show? Was it Star Search? What was it? <laughs> okay, it wasn't Star Search. Well, I'm obviously. saying the first big before you before you performed. I'm saying what was the um, first big shot you got? I would say there wasn't. I never really had a moment where I was like, "Oh, this happened," and then the next day my life is different. So the Tonight Show or none of that. The first. You know, obviously it was a big disappointment not getting on with Johnny. I tried right at the end, and Macaulay got drunk and thing, and when he came to see me again, and it was a bad situation. So that was a big disappointment. But then... How many times did you audition for Macaulay? Maybe five. Yeah. You know so we were very Carol, close. Carol Leifer auditioned, right? <laughs> 24? Right, right, right. Okay, so, yeah. Exactly. But you got on with Jay. So I get on with Jay, and this is this is just between you and I, and anyone listening. And one of the reasons that set was big for me was one that somebody said yes to the Tonight Show, like so that's a certain validation. But two was they were still doing it in Studio One, Carson Studio. Yeah. So it was the same curtain, same spot, same audience. I mean, same audience setup, same, you hear very, the muffled thing, your name to the thing, and the guy's like, well, good luck. You know, he's seen a million comedians go out, like, good luck. There's a curtain puller, there's a dude. And you walk out and you're like, and you can see me. I'm like, okay, this is it, it's happening. And so that, I would say, was, a, was sort of a like, okay, I didn't do Star Search, but I didn't want Star Search. I didn't even want to win Star Search. I wanted to win once on Star Search. Does that make any sense? Nothing about Star Search makes any sense to me. So, so The Tonight Show, your life didn't change. You didn't start doing headline. I thought after that you started the headlining comedy no, clubs more and more. I mean, I started working. I was, I was working, but um, I don't know. At that time, also, this is when the second track of my career started invading the other track. So I started booking commercials. I don't remember if you know, I booked a lot of commercials at that time. How and did then, you make the transition to deciding you wanted to do commercials? Oh, I always wanted to do commercials. But you didn't. What do you, what, I, I don't understand what you're saying. In other words, Explain like... Explain the question. You put an increased focus on the commercial side. It was only because I wasn't booking anything in New York. When I came out to L.A. So but you were auditioning the same amount of times in New York as you were no, in L.A.? No, that's not true. Not true. Because I didn't have my SAG card. This is one of the things that Bill Boggs gave me was a SAG card. You want to explain to our audience why it was so uh, important to have your SAG card okay, as this a comedian is, and a actor? Well, it was someone who wanted to do both, yes. Because your SAG card, you weren't. some agents wouldn't even see you. They wouldn't even give you the time of day. Me, charming Wayne Fetterman, you know, they wouldn't. And then, and then you weren't allowed to be brought in for certain projects. So it was a, it was the hugest barrier to success. And to this day, anyone who's non-union, I have the utmost sympathy for, because I never, Barry, I'm never gonna forget what that was to be on the outside, just like, not even caring about me or my talent or anything. Just like, oh, you don't have this card? We're not interested in you. Like, what? So, so the first commercial you booked where you said to yourself, I can do this, what was it? Well, I did two. I did two, one first for Noggles, which was, was now Taco, I mean, uh, Del Taco. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was for um, a vacuum cleaner. God, what? okay, come on, I wanna say Eureka. It was a Eureka vacuum cleaner, and it was all me. All one camera coming in, it was like, easy. And I was a trained actor, I kind of knew. It wasn't quite what Stella Adler was hoping for. And then I started getting little parts in sitcoms and things like that, so I had like, and so I wanted, this is to tell you the truth, I, I've never thought about this, but my strategy was I wanted to work weekends as opposed to a week, that way I'm available, so my agents are really like, oh, because I thought, does that make, 
Very much. So. Yeah. yeah. So that was my that's so that's what I did. So that's why I didn't headline a lot. I was basically an in-town comic because I want to be available for auditions. And this is the thing that a lot of comedians at the time didn't understand people like you. They didn't understand the ramifications. But just for our audience, yeah. what you should know is the fact that you could do a national commercial. And if it ran 13 weeks, you might make... You could make uh, $40,000. If it ran 26 weeks, you could make 80000 or or 100000 If it ran for the year, I mean, the yeah. residuals and some commercials kept going and going. Right. So Wayne was in a situation where he was walking to the clubs, and now he had money in his bank account, and the other comedians that were his peers didn't have that kind of money. And a lot of them didn't understand what was going on, right? Well, again, but I do think my development as a stand-up, if I had done those road gigs, might have changed. But that's, hey, who knows? I really loved doing on-camera stuff, and it was always a goal of mine. Always. Those two tracks. But I would say that, once I moved to L.A. with the SAG card, SAG card, then that was the... Is that clear? I think commercials, hundreds of thousands of dollars. First Phil, of all, your 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 uh, Selman gig, I think, <laughs> is a little different there. And no, I'm not exaggerating. And you can't look me in the eye and tell me you didn't make hundreds of thousands of dollars with all the commercials and all the residuals you did. I did make some money, but it was not. Uh, yes, there was never a year where I made over one hundred fifty thousand dollars ever, ever. Oh, yeah, sorry, in 1980. What's that now? <laughs> it wasn't 80. This is 90, the 90s. whatever. The 90s. What's that now? 30 years now. It What's was 90. It? Could somebody do the conversion rate, please? $100,000 in no, 30 years ago. No, but I've looked at the thing. I've looked at the same thing. Like $300,000. No, it's, it today. was usually it was not it was usually in the 30 to 40. It was not. I'm telling you. I know. Listen, I know you think I'm underplaying it. I'm playing the little ukulele now in sympathy. I'm not. No, I loved it. What are you talking about? I loved it. I loved being on camera. All right. So what was your first break as an actor where you were working across an actor where you were like, holy shit, I got to do the scene with this guy. And Hands this down. That's an easy question. That was when I got to play um, Stan Sanders on the Larry Sanders show. I got to play Gary Shanley's brother. And I don't know if you know about Gary, but he had a brother when he was a kid. Who died. Yeah. Barry. So, so that must have been emotional for him. Yeah. And he was, you know, he came up with the episode. He had these two young hot writers write it. And I was just, I couldn't believe I was on set with Gary Shanley. I couldn't believe it. Now, couldn't. The, the show, how much of it did he allow you to improv? A lot. Not a lot, but uh, enough. There's a lot of my lines in there. Because he, we he's talking about he's doing his last Larry Sanders show. And uh, I'm pitching him this idea, and I just I ad lived this great lot. No, well, I mean they kept it in, so I guess it's good. Um, where he's like, uh, hey, I go Carson just had one of those final shows, didn't he? He goes, yeah. I go, yeah. He should have done a pay per view. That's, <laughs> that's why Carson's an idiot. <laughs> so, you know, just the guy who's completely devoid of it. That's why Carson was an idiot because he didn't do a pay per view for his. <laughs> I could just picture Larry's face. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gary was oh. like, yeah, yeah, that's funny, that's funny. Like, just clueless, just a guy who's clueless about show business. Um, so that was, that's an easy, that's an easy one. Yeah, that was something else. Barry, yeah. I didn't know this was going to be therapy. I'm loving it. You're so good, man. This I'm is so, so good. I'm so good. Man, you're so intuitive. It's incredible. I guess so, that's your talent, right? So I don't know. I'm sitting on a couch. I'm no, a, but think about it in your whole career. I'm just turning this on. Like I feel like you have like an eye for that kind of. This stuff. is what's weird about you. What? I want to just. You mind if I go toe to toe? I love it. Let's do it. Why? Why? If not now, when? Right. In Thirty-five years. Yeah. yeah when are we going to do it again? Okay. This is what I never understood about you and I've, I've studied you from afar I know you're saying no you haven't no, Larry, you don't know anything about me you don't know anything. but I'm like a savant when it comes yeah. to just analyzing yeah, and looking yeah. different things I believe it and I've come to the conclusion that you can count on half a hand the comedians who do things that were a cheat that are some of the most respected people in the business 
and you are one of the most respected people, yet you've done the cheat with the ventriloquism. You did the cheat with the ukulele. You know, guys like Dennis Miller standing there, planting their feet, right. slinging the jokes. Rodney, slinging the jokes. And you got your ukulele doing, I mean, you used to do rock and roll yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, and all yeah, this yeah. kind of sound effects kind of stuff. But then people always loved you and they always respected you. Why do you think that is? Okay, first of all, great compliment. Am if I wrong? No, if you could say it again slower, I'd appreciate <laughs> it. No, I do. This is, I mean, this really gets to it. This is, I love, I love that you're bringing it up because um, I don't know. I never thought of it as a cheat, but I, I agree with you. There is a connection now that I'm saying it to the ventriloquism. There's a, but I think because I had so many good bits. The that, ukulele is your. I know, Buford. That's a, Buford. Buford. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I know. You heard? You want me to make me cry? What are you, what's I'm happening here? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I'm a scared kid in high school. I get it. Uh, what do you want? I don't want to. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, very good. Very astute. And then. But I think what kind of got me through is that I was able to write really great chunks of material that had nothing to do with the ukulele. And that was kind of like a bonus thing at the end. I know. Oh, I think that's why. No, but I know that that's why, but I'm just wondering why, 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 why dabble in one that you, like, you are so adept. At straight stand-up. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. I think it's because I don't have this horrible disdain for music that you do. I love music. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're looking at this huge we got the Aerosmith poster. There's a huge here. poster right here. No, I just, I, I don't know. I, 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 I love playing and create. I just love being. I'm not saying it's bad. Do you think Look, Steve I'm, Martin was uh, cheating when he did the banjo? Do I think he was cheating? I think that whenever. Yeah, let's hear it. Come okay, on. Let's go. do it. Let's do it. Here we go. This is, this yeah. is really interesting. Let's get real. We will get real here. Let's get real. So, first of all, I love Steve Martin as an actor. Oh. I love him as a creator. I loved, I love him when he like did the Academy Awards uh -huh. and stood there. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. There, and slung the jokes, and, and really, like, that, like, blew me away. I love that. If you're asking me if, when I watch Happy Feet, that that moves my mind? No, it doesn't move my mind at all. If you ask me when he's playing the great Flydini in a magic club where the magic trip comes out of a zipper, that doesn't move my mind. Do I, am I entertained? Yes. Am I entertained by Steve doing the wild and crazy guy? Yes. But does my mind get excited about the stand-up like it does Jim Jeffries doing the gun control bit? Or Chappelle doing the crack baby? Or George Carlin doing the religion, the, the religion, or yeah. the world will flick you off oh, of it right, like right. dogs flick off fleas. fleas. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't. And and I'm not I'm not trying to insult Steve Martin because I I think he's a genius and I love him and he has no fear to change the course of his career and how it's going and doesn't care what anybody thinks. Serves his master. And I have so much respect for that. But I'm just talking about the craft of stand-up comedy. It's called stand-up comedy. It's not called stand-up with a guitar. I understand. And let's sing a song parody about the <laughs> piano man. And the, All right, now you're making fun <laughs> of Mark Cohen. 
Why are you attacking Mark I'm Kelly? I'm sorry. I got, I got Is there a soapbox here? Or no, I love What it. is a soapbox? Can I anyway. say what I thought of when you were talking like that? You know what you, you are? You thought of a crazy person. No. What? You're Stella Adler. I'm Stella Adler. Think about it. Like she enjoys, could enjoy something, but really what moves her was those plays. Those, uh, and the same way with you. Like elevated stand-up that says something about humanity is what moves you. Like I always love- And you appreciate Steve Martin, and I'm sure she appreciated, you know, Doc Simon and, you know, all of those other. I always loved when you did the stand-up and I always was kind of a little bit, I don't want to say let down, but I always like, I always thought to myself, and maybe that's probably subliminally why I never spent more time engaging you because I just I couldn't it. understand somebody who is so good at writing Thank you. And, and so good when he just stood there and did the joke like I just and it's not that you didn't move you moved you know you could you move sometimes and you did right, your thing. Right. but I just I just I never understood what was happening there and why like for instance, yeah, I'll tell you somebody who who people really get down on Scott Thompson, A.K. Caratop. Yes. Now, if you really were to transcribe his <laughs> act, you would find some amazing right. jokes in there, some yeah. amazing bits that he has. But people get down on him because he's a prop guy and he uses the props. I probably, I can't believe I'm saying this compared to what other comics would say, I probably have an enormous amount of respect for Scott because he does something that no other comic in the country has been successful at consistently right. in the last 50 or 60 years. You're not counting Wid, right? Well, Wid didn't make it. Oh, Jesus, this is intense. Yeah, yes, he was, yes. He has, he's in residency in Vegas. Wid wasn't. Wid was in his car. Caratop has been in residency in Vegas for over 20 years. Yeah, yeah. He's got the longest running show what? in history in one place, I believe. And so he's become a multimillionaire. Now, granted, I'm not talking about his personal life or right. how he dresses or how he is right. or how he decides to be. The muscles. I'm just, talking about the muscles? Because we're all curious. Do you know anything about it? I'm just, I think I admire his muscles. <laughs> but I'm just saying that I feel like he's at least doing something that's never been successful in the history of stand-up that I know of. And you do the history of... Con I'm talking about on live television, somebody who's... Who Can I give you another example of someone who did it pretty well? Not to the, was uh, Rip Taylor. But Rip Taylor didn't create all these original, unique... I mean, Scott... I know, I know, I know. He puts things together. Yeah, yeah. Every day he's having stuff done. It's like... And again, but people don't always respect Scott Caratop. Because, but the fact is, I respect him because he created a niche that no one has done. Now, right. a, a comic sitting across from me now might say, well, of course nobody's done it because nobody wants to do it, Barry. No, I didn't. Nobody wants to do that. Who wants to do that? Who wants to be known as the prop guy? But the point, I'm not talking to you. I'm just do you talking... even need me here? Because you can do you and the guy <laughs> sitting across from you. <laughs> I, this is incredible to oh, watch. Oh, I'm not going to be able to make it. <laughs> that was incredible. All right, but but the yeah. but the but when you were doing the thing with the ukulele, I thought, okay, well, Jack Benny has the violin, yeah. and and you know Dennis Blair is playing the guitar, and well, Dennis Blair is more of a music act than yeah than I was. Yeah, but but when... it was really a closer. I used the ukulele. That was all. That was that was really. It wasn't through the whole act, although the I, piano is now. I saw you do. I'm almost positive oh, no. I saw you oh, open no. with the ukulele and close with the ukulele. You open, did something to open, and you put it down, and then and you did something right. that. Am that I wrong? Be, no, you might be right. You might be right. I don't remember that, but that might have been something where I teased them a little bit and at the end. I'm playing Hendrix behind my back. So, is it because you didn't have confidence in yourself as a straight stand-up? It's a great question because I do have issues with confidence and. 
I don't know. I mean, this is something. Do you remember Lucian Holt? He of was like course. the guy. He was like, at the comic strip. He was at the comic strip. Passed away. He really had his. Vision. You talk about a point of view and a vision. He had his vision of how. Right, right. I mean, that Kevin Hart story be. is one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life, right? You're, well, you're welcome to tell it here. No, 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 I like Kevin. But he just basically. Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart auditions for him at the comic show. I hope I'm getting this right. Tell me if I'm wrong. And Lucian would always bring the comedian over in the speak, you know, and just says, um, I don't see it. I just don't see it. <laughs> I was like, is that, that's not, hey, this could be good. Uh, like that, it was, it's, Kevin tells it, it's just beautiful the way he says it. Is that, is that close? Yeah. Yeah, oh my but God. But I mean, people have those stories where the thing that people don't understand about comedy clubs yeah. Is that there's normally one person who's in charge of booking it. Yeah. One person in the world who's responsible for deciding who goes on stage and who doesn't. Right. And every person has their own taste. And so it's obviously possible for somebody in the world not to find Kevin Hart funny. If everyone in the world found Kevin Hart funny, Instead of a hundred million followers, he'd have one billion followers. I gotcha. But you catch that one club owner that doesn't find you. It's oh, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <clears throat> but Lucian loved you. Lucian did like me, but he did say something. And again, I'm getting real here with you. He did. He said he felt like my stand-up set improved dramatically when I got the ukulele closer because I, I had confidence that I'd be able to at least end big. It was a crowd. It was a crowd pleasing bit, right? Very smart. Very yeah. smart. So he said. He said, "I saw that bit affect your ability to write those other bits and do those other bits with confidence." And I think you, as someone who has obviously a lot watched it quite a bit, um, confidence is a big part of the game. It's a huge part of the game. Know, that's the other thing. Unfortunately, I, yeah. That's the other thing I really wanted to talk to you about, which actually you got into before I got to bring it up. This is another thing about you that's so paradoxical. It's yeah. like you were one of the few comedians that I ever felt the vibe that you just, it, it almost felt like you just didn't even feel like you belonged, like that you could even go on stage and do well. You just had that aura that you were like, you were never ready enough. And I never understood what that was about because there's stand-up involves so much confidence that you have to have confidence, poise, power, mm -hmm. timing. Yeah. And if you have that, you can look at Sarah Silverman's first set on Letterman when she's like, what, 21 or 22. She has 12 jokes, mm -hmm. two tags. But somehow with her persona, she still had the confidence and the right, poise. Right. And I always felt like you were one of the few guys I couldn't figure out. How is this guy doing so well when he doesn't even feel like he feels like he belongs here with a lot of these people? What was that about? Am I, tell me if I'm wrong. No, 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 no. No, you're cutting right to the marrow. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I did have a traumatic thing happen to me on stage, which is... Um, because I was, I, through the comic strip, through those years in the mid, early to mid 80s, I was good. I was I had this big closer. I had another bit, this ski routine that was incredible. Um, when at that show Comedy Tonight, this might be a little before your Bill Boggs. Yeah, is that Bill Boggs? Immediately booked me on that show. One with the ukulele, the other with the ski bits, stand up and the music. I was like, like oh. And, uh, and then I did Star Search, and I lost on Star Search in the first round, which is like, it's almost impossible to lose in the first round, because that's your best stuff against somebody who's, it's not gonna be their best, it's already their second thing, so. Who'd you lose to? A guy who doesn't even do stand-up anymore. It's uh, Tim Rose. Tim Rose, okay. Yeah, so, and the whole time I'm there, like Tim is nervous, and I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm like, I'm, I, I just felt like, I, I can't miss on this, and for a number of reasons, I, I, it, it went fine. Somebody gave, you know, there was a couple of judges that gave me a four, but the other two, it was, some people thought it was great. But it was really- What did you do on the show? 
You have two minutes and 20 seconds. This is what, what I did. did. It was a mistake. I, I scrunched down the ski routine to two minutes, which is usually a five and a half minute routine. And so, because they wouldn't let me play the ukulele. And the next year, they allowed music, and that guy, I can't think of his name, won it. Um, so I was upset about that, obviously. Um, but I still thought, even, I think I can do this in two minutes. Um, and it was really a public humiliation for me. Public. Not a humiliation. You know, anyone can have a bad set in a club, and two nights later, no one remembers it. This is something that was like, not only did the whole country see it, or in my stupid mind, but... So I've always, I think I've always, like it took me a long time, like every time I go on stage, like, oh, this could be a public humiliation. Like this could not go as well as I want. So, so when club, when shows start going, you know, tricky, you know, every show you're like trying to find the combination of the crowd, right? They're like, well, what's gonna work? How am I gonna get this into a thing? And at the end, everyone loves me. Um, sometimes it doesn't happen and I get very self-conscious and it's, it's bad. It's it's bad. So, I've never been a super confident performer. Never. Fascinating stuff, man. Yeah, it's bad. I always doesn't doesn't bother you. This always bothers me too. What? Yeah, it, it's the exact opposite. It bothers me in a good way, but it's right. like a, it's like the comic who doesn't even know what you're talking about when you're talking about the combination. They're just out in the hallway, just like, hey, how you doing? Very good to see you. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Chris Rock. Oh, I'll see you in a second there. Right. It just goes on and just like, it's like an 18-wheel truck could fall through the ceiling right, 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 and, right. And, and no one would know it. And they get back off, hey, man, that crowd's good tonight. I got to go over to the other place. Yeah. And they, there's, no, there's no combination. They just go on and do I what know. they do. And they don't figure out anything. They let the audience... Come figure out their combination. Of course, of course, of course. Yes, let them come to you. Of course. Yeah, I think. I think, and it may go back to now. I mean, I've never gone to therapy, but I feel like this is it a little bit here. That might just have gone back to the like that. You know, so desperate to do well that I'm like, oh, I don't care what comedians play. I'll play ukulele. I'll do ventriloquism. You know what I mean? Maybe. Let's go back in time. <laughs> yes. It's getting real. This is going to be like, takes all your vision and no, all your imagination. Like, yeah. Let's pretend somebody were to show you the future when you're 18. Yeah. And they said, we can snap our fingers and you can be the most confident performer out there. You'll right. never have a doubt in your mind right. about anything. What would your career look like today? Oh, that's, I can't answer that. Can you try? No, because it's it's a hypothetical. I can't even, I, I, I'm sorry. I know it sounds like a dodge and I'm willing to talk about like the most raw things. Ask me anything, but I can't talk about something that didn't happen that might have happened if a genie came along and like it's just too far-fetched it's too far-fetched I don't know I think part of let me I'll answer it this way I think part of what makes me me is my vulnerability I think so if I was super confident I might not be vulnerable and I might it might just be you've seen a lot of comics like that right who were just so I happen to think that oh no you wouldn't do as well okay so that's a compliment I get it I doubt it. <laughs> I really think it was like what you said earlier. Like, what did you say? Poise. What, yeah. were, the, what were the ones again? <laughs> Poise, power, power. Yeah. Timing. Yeah, yeah. How you your confidence and how yeah. you're up there. It's, I, it's I so do much. think it. I've seen. I've seen it. I've seen comedians with very thin material. Think about it. Think about twelve jokes and two right. tags. And you can do Letterman, the greatest show of I that know, time. I know, but, but even, but yes. But Sarah always had personality for days. Of course. For but, days. But she I'm, still has it. 
Of course, she's but I'm still, just saying. She lights can't. up a room. I don't light up a room. But she wouldn't. People are like, who is that guy? Is he, yeah. Does he have a pass? Well, of course you light up the room <laughs> at show. <laughs> exactly. I don't light up a room. But Sarah has all, you will admit, you've known her since right from, yeah. from NYU, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Did so, her first stage time at the club. Yeah, so I, I, that's just her. She's just charismatic. I don't think You don't I'm, have charisma? I don't think I'm charisma. I think I'm funny. That's it. Mm. I think, excuse me. I think I can be funny under the right circumstances. You've ne- have you ever seen me bomb? I've never seen you bomb. Yeah. See, I usually don't bomb, but when I do bomb, it's it's evident on my face. It's like I can't hide it. I can't, and it hurts. It's not, and I never take it out on the crowd. I never like. Oh, I'm having a bad time now. You're gonna have a bad time. Do you know those comics? They're like. It's not going to be me that's going to feel bad. It's going to be you. I can't do that. I just, I'm trying. I'm just sensitive. I sometimes I do think I'm too sensitive. I know that sounds like I'm, I'm complimenting, like a humble brag. Just too sensitive a person. But sometimes I do because it's you know it's a little bit of a armor situation. You've been, you've seen it. You've seen it, right? Yeah. There's certain comedians that I didn't take the time or just hang or I never disrespected you. Did I? No, 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 not I at always all. Not treated at you all. with respect. Yep, yep, yep. And but there's certain comedians along the line for me. Joe Rogan was another one. I never really right. spent the time with him and at the time I guess I wasn't really as much into that kind of comedy. I don't know. I- Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. I don't know why that is. I'm going to just turn it on you a little bit. Do you feel like there's a certain kind of act that you're like, oh, this is what I like, like a confident Jay Moore kind of like uh, a talent, charismatic, not... Well, you know, it's interesting. I would say, and if you were sitting here, I'd say the same thing. I love Jay Moore as an actor much more than I do as a stand-up oh, comedian. okay, okay. Even though it could be argued Look, he's been one of the most successful comedians, always draws tons of people. People always loved his voice. And I represented him for 25 years. Of course. And so I obviously felt something. I think I feel the people that I rally around are when I see like a bit that just goes in directions that I can't believe happens. Like I mentioned earlier, and I probably people roll their eyes so much, but... I look at the gun control bit of Jim Jeffries Mm -hmm. and I say to myself, okay, here's a guy, not from our country, so he got his chops in another continent where they laugh at things a different way than we do. And then he comes here and he does a special where he does that for an American audience where He knows that 50% of the audience, at least, or a close proximity, is against him, and 50% are for him. And he knows which side he's on. And yet he still takes the bold step of going forward and 
going through everything and you feel like when you're on the other side who right. believe in guns right. and believe in the power of guns and how we should have the right to bear arms yeah. he almost makes it feel like you're watching Archie Bunker on the chair talking about race or bigotry or whatever yeah. and it's like you're laughing at it but, but he weaves the story in and out and by the end of the bit there's like a one-minute applause break from the entire crowd. One half who doesn't agree with him, right. and one half that does. And to me, that's the greatest kind of stand-up for, for my taste, because right. I get a message, I get somebody telling the message right. to uh, told groups of people. It's you get like, some truth. I get some truth. Yeah. And... I get to see unification of a crowd when they're not unified. Right. And so, like, if I'll see Bill Burr has some routines like that, Chris Rock has some tremendous routines about race where you're right. just going in and out, and then at the end you're unified. Right. I will say that I love that, but I'd say that... I will always laugh the hardest and the strongest and the most often at Rodney Dangerfield because there's what? so many jokes per minute. Well, this so kind of flies in the face of everything you've been saying. I'm going to tell you why. Let's hear it. Jack okay. Roy, let me hear. All right. So here we go. So you promise when I'm on your podcast, we can reverse roles. My podcast is an edited podcast, so uh, we're going to probably use 20 seconds. I either. cut this down to like six minutes. You do? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so this, war, this is where Rodney is, is for me. So Rodney is a guy who, he starts as Jack Roy. Yeah, of course. And he's doing a certain kind of comedy. And he, it's going okay. He's living in a middle to lower middle class house, and he's got a family or whatever. He's doing the yeah. borscht belt or whatever, and he's, he's trying. But then he makes that bold transition, twenty years into his actor where his career. You think about that, making that. And this is where this ties into you. Yeah. You've made bold choices and changed things around each time, and gone here or here, and weave things in. And so Jack changes to Rodney Dangerfield, yeah. and it's these quick jokes, but the jokes tell a story. They tell a story about his okay. life. And even though they're short five-second stories, they're amazing stories. And even though it doesn't weave things together the and tie in into no narrative, yeah. The biggest thing I realized that I'm a fan of is the story. Wow. Okay. And so I respect the comic who weaves the story that takes the audience who doesn't agree with them on this journey and together. But he doesn't do anything controversial. No, no. But I do like to still be entertained sometimes with the rapid fire. I love people who do that, and very few people can do it well. Yeah, well. It's hard to do. And people always think, well, yeah, it must be hard to tell a story that, like Bert Kreischer doing the story yeah. about the machine, that must be really hard to do. I'm sure if Bert were sitting here, he'd tell you and I that it's not hard to do. Right. He's just telling a story about his life. And when you have a story, you have everything because it's like you break a story in a sitcom, you have a story yeah. in your stand up. I always say, and maybe I'll have to go to Human Resources, you go on a date, you have a great story, you're going to get a second date. You don't have a great story, there's no second date. Interesting. And so Rodney was the ultimate, he had more stories per minute than anybody else in the business. You know, they were these short little five-second stories about his life, his parents, how they felt. And he was the underdog in every story. Right. And he was the guy. And so Jim Jeffries, when he's on stage starting that gun control bit, he's starting as the underdog, and he ends up as the hero. Right. So and, there's an arc. And there's an arc. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love that about it. And so that's why. Now that's like interesting. It. I never thought of. I always thought of Ronnie just as, uh, just as a one-liner comedian. That every joke is 
I'm a total loser. Just name but, one joke and you'll see the story. Just name anyone. Right, 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 right. What, what do you got? Just name one of them. Well, it's like when I was a kid, uh, I didn't have any friends. That my parents used to put a pork chop around my neck so I, the dog would play with me. That's right. So <laughs> so we, we know right away that when he's younger, he's traumatized because he doesn't have any friends. Right, right. We know that his parents are cruel to him. They put right, a pork right, chop right, around right. his neck. And so the dog that didn't would play really with him. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying that. Oh, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. What no, it? I love it. Does I everything it. you say in your act happen? Did everything happen? No, but I just feel like he would like he he was one of the first guys that came up to me outside Catch a Rising Star. Was like, hey, if you have any jokes for me, I pay fifty dollars a joke. That was what he said to me. He was like, well, I don't really write in that style. I didn't say anything. I was just like, oh, Rodney's talking to me. I was like, yes, okay, yeah, maybe. Was he wearing pants? He, he, <laughs> he was in a bathrobe, but it was still. Uh, he was incre incredible. Yes, that story is, okay, thank you. That does make, that actually, this is, I'm, listen, I'm just taking it in. I'm taking it in. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Um, well, I, we talked about it. I would say the star search was the biggest disappointment I had. That was really, and I can't answer the second part of it because I don't know if it really fueled me, but I will tell you there was a comedian named, God, I hope I'm getting his name, Adam Ray, is that his name? Do you know who he is? There's an Adam Ray that works now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. like a good looking kid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was in a Sandra Bullock movie. He did a podcast with Brad Williams. Yeah, Adam Ray. Yeah, yeah, Adam. I, I don't know why, for some reason, that yeah. doesn't sound right to me. But I told him about that Star Search experience, and he looked at me with the most befuddled, confused look I've ever seen. He was like, that trauma? He goes, you got to do Star Search. You know when people dream of doing anything anywhere? You got to, and then you lost? He goes, that's funny. It's like a funny story. It's not... That shouldn't, you've done so many other shows, done hundreds of other shows like that. He goes, that's great. That story is great that you lost on Star Search. That's not like a career disappointment. That's like, you got to do Star Search. And he's right. You and know. he was totally right. And it took like a kid, you know, he's like 30 or something yeah. to like, and at that moment, like, okay, it's yeah. not, hopefully it won't be that thing that was like a little bit of an albatross that I felt like a loser. That's totally right. You know? Yeah. Isn't that you amazing know, that somebody can do there's that? There's a reason why you go to a, a boxing match in Madison Square Garden. There's only two guys in the ring out of 15,000. Uh -huh. Two people have the guts to go in the ring knowing one's going to lose and one's going to win. The other people just sit back and watch. They're in the arena. And you were in the, you, yeah. you were, you were in the and ring. And Tim Rose beat me up. Can you believe it? Fucking <laughs> Tim Rose. Seems well, impossible. Last question: what, <laughs> what, what advice do you have for the young person in the business, the comedy business, starting at a place as a teenager, thinking, having dreams of the comedy business? I, this is what I would. I mean, having the kind of career that you have. Well, one is like I, a little bit of the persistence, like being able to get up after you get knocked down. That's that's you have to have that. But besides that, like. What a phenomenal choice for a person to pick. Like, it's dangerous, it's thrilling, you're with creative people, you're with vindictive people, you're with competitive people. But like, if you get to hang out, like you said earlier, with comedians, it's like, a, it's the whole thing. Like, that's your life. You know, you only have, obviously we're here for a short amount of time. If you get to hang out with comedians and like, and then do your act and get approval or whatever, or work this whole creative, you get to live a creative life. I mean, that's a, I really feel like I'm very fortunate. I hate to say this, I was born in this country and then I was born at the time I was born. That there were all these opportunities for me. All those comedy clubs were opening up. You were right there at the beginning of it, so you know. And, um, and uh, you know, I mean, from, I mean, I know we do, this is like a crazy name droppy podcast, but like, like that I got to do shows with Maria Bamford in bookstores is incredible. Nobody's, there's no show business there. We're just like working on our stuff. And it's like, geez, I, I don't know. So I just think, good luck. I, 
welcome, welcome. Can I help you? You know what I mean? Like uh, that. So I would say welcome. Wayne, I've had the most amazing time. I'm, I'm so <laughs> grateful to you, and I can only say three words. Let me hear. This is gonna be bad. Go ahead. I'm not good at compliments. Fetterman and out. Oh, I love it. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> nice one. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, was the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard, and because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this, and I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money, drop that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers, they have all to gain. It's never quite over, till it all feels the same. You pick your own poison, dig your own grave, down in.
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.